When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, tonight we're debating evolution on trial and we're starting right now. With Nephilim Free's opening statement, thanks so much for being with us, Nephilim Free, the floor is all yours. Great, appreciate it. So is my screen share working? It is okay. now. Okay, great. So uh, evolutionists design, uh, deny the inference of design uh, for uh, their not for scientific reasons, but because of its religious implications. An evolutionist would say this pile of dirt left in a field, in a grassy field, they'll say, they'll acknowledge that a human being put that there. It did just rationally happen. You know, the dirt didn't collect and sawed. It didn't migrate there on its own. A human being. But then they'll look at this protein ring, which is outrageously complex. And I do mean outrageously complex. And its purpose is to punch a hole in the membrane of a bacteria to allow toxins to enter. This is produced by your immune system. They'll look at this protein complex, which has a specific function and is of outrageous complexity. And they'll say, oh, that's not designed. The dirt pile, that's obviously designed. But this protein ring, nah, that's not designed. That's denial. They'll look at a space shuttle and say, oh, that thing's clearly designed. But then they'll look at a cell, which is vastly more complex than a space shuttle, orders of magnitude more complex than a space shuttle. And they'll say, it's not designed. They'll look at the helicase machinery that, that comp duplicates the DNA molecule. And they'll say, this complex machinery that operates with scissors and clamps and levers in a specific order to produce a DNA molecule at the, at the spinning at the rate a turbine in a jet engine spins and assembling molecules on the fly. And they'll say, there's no evidence of design in that because evolutionism is denial. They'll look at the ribosome and they'll see the complex functions of ribosome information driven system with the interior of the ribosome you see here is tiny molecular each one of these globules is a, an amino acid, and it's a set of levers and, and pushers, uh, prods, to change the shape of a molecule to create an ATP energy molecule for the cell. And they move the interior of this molecule is designed in such that they operate like levers in order to force the change, a conformational change in a, in a molecule, in order to create ATP. It operates mechanically. It's machinery. And they'll say, that's not designed. The fossil record has failed evolution. I'm not gonna take the time to read these. We're kind of in a hurry to get this debate going because James is pressed for time. We got a late start. But uh, let me just put it like this. The, the world's most prominent evolutionist scientists themselves acknowledge the fossil record doesn't show evidence of evolution that one can look at and get the inference that evolution has occurred. 
You don't get the idea of evolution by looking at the fossils. There are no transitional fossils. Stephen Jay Gould admitted this numerous times. There's a statement by him. David B. Kitts, despite the Bryce promise of paleontology provides a means of seeing evolution, it has presented some nasty difficulties for evolutionists, the most notorious of which is presence in the gaps in the fossil record. Evolution requires intermediate forms between species and paleontology does not provide them. Does not. Now, he's an evolutionist, professor of geology at the University of Oklahoma. So here's another by Niles Eldridge. I could show you dozens and dozens like this. Niles Eldridge, famous uh, 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 evolutionist scientist, co-discoverer of the three-dimensional structure of the DNA molecule. He, a paleontologist as well, admits it. There's no evidence of evolution. You can't see evolution happen in the rock record. It's not there. What do mutations actually do? They cause immunities, changes in color, size, shape, loss of features, loss of functions, disease, deformity, and death. They don't design anything. There have been a million papers or more published in genetics about the effects of mutation. None of them show the evolution uh, mutation is a mechanism for the design, structural designs in the body plans of creatures. That would be necessarily true if evolution were true. Here's Lynn Margolis. She says, I have seen no evidence whatsoever that these evolutionary changes can occur through the accumulation of gradual mutations. And, uh, and uh, uh, the list of these statements like this go on and on and on. I'm not going to uh, bore you with them. But we haven't seen any evidence that, that mutations cause the kind of change that evolution requires. Even evolutionist scientists themselves admit it, but they believe it happens anyway. So you're welcome to believe that these incredibly precise, intricate, anatomical features of living things are developed by the accruing of genetic damage. But that's not science. That's a philosophy. It's a religion. Look at the tremendous differences in structural design between these six different types of insect. The, the uh, complexity and, and specificity of their features is mind-bending complexity. Does, do mutations do that? We don't have any evidence in science. The mutations design the intricate, minute, even, and the small-scale features of any living thing. That's a flea. Do you see how incredibly intricate the design of a flea is? We have zero evidence that mutation can build any of those features. It's never been produced in science. It's been known since Ota in 1973 and Kimura in 1960s and 50s that mutations building up are damaged to the DNA. Kondrashov in the 1990s, Lynch, Berger, and others all acknowledge our genome is crumbling. Genetic mutations are destroying life, all life. I'm not going to read these to you. For, I'm trying to save time for this debate. Crumbling genome. On the average genome type, 100 genes are dysfunctional or missing. That's what's happening to us because of mutation. Mutations don't build anything. They destroy. Our, uh, Adam Iyer Walker and P. Knightley published in 1999, the same thing. But when creationists publish this very same information, the evolutionists go rabid. They go crazy. Oh, that's evil creationist pseudoscience. But the evolutionist scientists have been publishing this very same thing since the 1950s. And nobody complains about them. They only complain when a creationist uh, publishes such a statement. It's, it, it's been discovered that the vast majority of mutations to our protein codes arose in the last five to 10,000 years. That fits with the biblical model that man got off the ark 5,000 4,500 years ago. 
but it can't be true if, if human beings have existed for hundreds of thousands of years. It's not possible. This proves man is not only not evolved, he's young. Man hasn't been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Here's, this is an amazing one here. They state, our understanding of protein evolution is incomplete, if not fundamentally flawed. They state, however, the, what they, I'm not going to take the time to read this, but if you capture this and read it for yourself at your leisure, you'll see that they're admitting that their ideas of evolution don't seem to match genetics. It's a puzzle. They can't figure out why they believe something because the science just doesn't show it's true. Okay. Um, the waiting time for two mutations to build up on each other to cause a fundamental, a functional change is, has been discovered to be a hundred million years. But in less than four and a half million years, evolutionists claim fish took legs and lungs and walked out on land. But science has demonstrated now, modern science, this is published by secular scientists, this is not creationists. The waiting time for two mutations, one mutation to happen and another one to happen on top of that one to cause a change to the first one, the information to modify it so that something functional or useful can arise is a hundred million years. That's just for two mutations to be cooperative. You would need millions of mutations to cause a fish to get lungs and legs and walk out on land. So evolution obviously cannot be true. There isn't enough time in a billion times the age of the universe, if it were 15 billion years old, for evolution to produce any anatomical change. And I think that concludes my opening statement. Thank you very much, Nephilim Free, for that opening statement. Want to give a huge thank you to Marshall, folks, as Marshall was willing to jump in. We are thrilled to have you, Marshall. Thanks so much for being willing to jump in at the very last moment. By the way, you remind me of Hasanabi. So I think that's how it's pronounced. But anyway, nonetheless, what we're going to do is jump into Marshall's opening statement and want to let you know as well, folks. If this is your first time at Modern Day Debate, we are a neutral platform hosting debates on science, religion, and politics. And we hope you feel welcome no matter what walk of life you are from, Christian, atheist, gay, straight, black, white, Democrat, Republican, you name it, we're glad you're here. And with that, Marshall, the floor is all yours. Thanks again for being with us. Thank, thank you, James. Um, so excited to be here. I'm also really nervous. This is my first formal debate, so uh, probably going to stumble over my words a lot. You know, you just have to bear with me. Um, so I guess right now we're talking about, you know, creationism versus evolution. Um, really, the science is pretty settled. The, the only question that scientists have in the scientific community is how has evolution happened in, in what specific ways? The question of whether evolution is a thing, that is the foundation of biology. Uh, you, if you want to dismantle the, an entire field of science, you're going to need some pretty solid evidence. Um, you know, a lot of different things have come together to get to where we are now. You know, when, uh, when Charles Darwin came up with his theory, uh, he didn't know about Mendel's work in genetics. He didn't know what DNA was. He didn't, he didn't have the vast fossil record that we have now. Uh, but just by looking at the species that were around at the time and the few fossils that he, he knew about, he could see a pattern and he could see how successive changes over generation build up and lead to bigger changes just as how you know he could breed different types of pigeon you start out with a wild rock dove type and eventually you have all these fancier tumblers and all different types of pigeons 
Now, an FLM will probably say, well, that's just variation within kind. And maybe they all the wild rock dove population has all of those traits. But um, when you look at the totality of everything, you have clades within clades. Uh, there, there's really nowhere you can stop from one kind within a larger kind and within a larger kind. And even creationists can't just can't agree. Some will say there's, you know, all cats are in one kind. Others will say, no, it's only species, species is in the kind. Um, now, you know, biologists can't, we can't agree on what a species is, but we don't, that's because a species doesn't make sense because, you know, as uh, it's a man-made concept, you're trying, we're trying to put, you know, hard borders around fuzzy things. Um, so, and the idea of biblical creation, the whole story of Genesis, we can show that that's a myth based on other myths compiled together. I, I even, even most, most reasonable Christians and, and Jews and whatnot that believe in the Bible, a lot of them, they don't take it literally. It's, it's really just, a few American fundamentalists that claim that it's, you know, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure if Nephilim wants to get more into the religious aspect of it, genetics or, or whatever. Um, you know, I'm a little rusty on some of the science stuff. Um, but we do know that, you know, the same genetic tests that we use to determine ancestry among people, among any species, using those exact same methods, we can develop a tree, a, you know, a, a family tree starting with people back to apes and fish and, and whatnot. Um, so, you know, it all, it all ties together. And then as far as complexity and design, you can look at things and say, well, that's obviously designed because we have designed things to look like that. But you don't know, you don't have an example of an undesigned object if you automatically think that everything is, is designed, right? So uh, it's kind of uh, arguing from what it looks like. I don't know. Um, and sometimes complexity, to me, that shows less evidence of a designer because a, des a good designer, an engineer, will remove complexity where it's not needed. The shuttle is so much more complex than a cell because a shuttle wasn't built up over millions of years. It was like, okay, well, we don't need that part. We can replace these two parts with this one part and you get a simpler design for a machine. Um, and, and the fossil record, that's another thing. We, we don't really need the fossil record to tell us that evolution happens. We, we have enough evidence for evolution in uh, phylogeny and with DNA and everything. Uh, but it certainly helps. There hasn't been anything in the fossil record found to disprove evolution. We've, we've never found a rabbit alongside a T-Rex skeleton. It just hasn't happened. Uh, and you would expect gaps in the fossil record we all know fossilization it takes certain conditions for it to happen you know not everything gets fossilized and not every fossil gets found uh, but what, what we do have let's see we have whales with legs we have a clear transition now now some people will say well 
the timelines don't add up because you have whales with legs at the same time as whales with half legs and then whales with no legs at the same time as whales with half legs. But they, they misunderstand that, you know, evolution is not stages. It is a tree, you know, and so we evolved from a, sim a common ancestor with chimpanzees, but there's still chimpanzees about. People will say, well, how did we evolve from a non-bipedal ancestor if they're still, you know, non-bipedal at the same time. Those people just don't understand how it works. So, I mean, th there are clearly transitional um, species. Really, every species is a, tr a transitional species, you know, but we have, we have tetrapods with extra uh, digits in their limbs, just like we would expect. We have, we have all sorts of species that have traits from in between other groups. Um, so I'm not sure why people continue to say that there are no transitional species, you know, because anytime you have a gap, you can just, you know, anytime you have two species, then we find a species in between those, they'll just point to the gap between, you know, another gap and say, well, you know, we need a species to fill in this gap here, you know, it's, but obviously we don't have every animal that ever lived to, to be able to look at. Um, another thing I want to talk about is genetic entropy. Uh, that's it's been widely debunked. Uh, I there I can't find any I haven't seen any any non-creationist um, scientists talking about genetic entropy. And one one thing to think about is so the generation time of an E. coli is so much faster than the generation time of say a person. Well, if if our genomes as people are under threat from genetic entropy, that is you know. Um, non-beneficial mutations building up in the genome over time um wouldn't the not it wouldn't the genomes of bacteria and all these other things that reproduce much faster than us you would think those the mutations would build up so much faster they should be already be extinct there should be no bacteria there shouldn't even be mice around if if we're in danger of going extinct from um harmful mutations you know, clearly there has to be some mechanism that is keeping the genome functioning in species, or it, it, you wouldn't have, you couldn't have bacteria even lasting 6,000 years. It just wouldn't happen. Uh, you can't have two people coming off of the ark and repopulating the earth and having enough people to create these vast civilizations that, that were around before the flood and they were around just fine after. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, it's it's a story that came from other places, uh, Astrahasis and um, the Epic of Gilgamesh and Utapishtim and all that. Um, and one thing you talked about is like the waiting time on mutations. So those studies, they took, so they look at how long it takes for individual mutations to fix, and they're looking for specific uh, mutations to be fixed. It's it's like if um, it, if you get a whole bunch of people in a room and you write down everybody's birthday in order, and then you say what are the chan what are the odds that everybody would have this exact birthday in this room? It's, it's just impossible. Well, somebody everybody has to have a birthday. So the idea that you know it, they would be those specific birthdays wasn't predicted. It's just like it doesn't have to always go to those mutations. It could be any mutations that end up being beneficial and mutations can be selected for 
simultaneously. When you have a large enough population, you have several things going on at once. They don't have to, okay, well, first we're going to get this mutation, then we're going to get this next one, then this one. No, it doesn't happen that way. It's, it's a, all together. But, um, yeah, so I'm not sure what what Nephilim really wants to focus on. Um, we, I guess we can just kind of kind of take it and see where it goes. Uh, I appreciate Nephilim and James, your, your time for having me on here. I, and I'm, I'm a bit of an amateur on, at this stuff. Um, so hopefully, you know, maybe somebody will learn something from this. Thank you very much, Marshall, for that opening statement as well. And want to say again, thanks for stepping in last minute. We absolutely no appreciate it. You saved the night. And also very well spoken, given especially given that you just jumped in. But even if you had debated before, well spoken. And so want to let you know, folks, our guests are linked in the description. Given the last minute nature of the debate, if Marshall has one, I will add that to the description immediately after the debate. And... Nephilim Freeze link is down in the description as well. Is that and that includes if you're listening via podcast, as Modern Day Debate also has a podcast now, folks. If you haven't checked us out, we're excited about it, and we put our guest links in the description box for each podcast episode as well. We encourage you to check them out. So thanks so much, gentlemen. We have fifty to sixty minutes for that open discussion. The floor is all yours. Okay. Well, I, I would say you know I've already provided. You said nobody's shown this, nobody's shown that, but. I did show you, I showed you uh, a statement, four statements by paleontologists, some of the most prominent scientists in the world, Stephen Jay Gould, uh, the world's most famous paleontologist, who admits the fossil record doesn't show any clear evidence of evolution. You can't look at the fossils and see evolution happen. You have to infer it in what you believe, but you can't see the fossils and, and see evolution. And you, you mentioned phylogenetics. By the same method by which evolutionists compare the genomes of chimpanzees and human beings, we're 50% similar to a banana. Mm -hmm. Does that does that mean we're 50% banana? Look at our anatomy. In, in a way, yes. Are you 50% banana? Come on. Really? So if you look at a banana cell and our cells, they are actually very similar. They both have the nucleus. They have mitochondria. We're, we're, we no, the organism. Hold on one second. Neff, Neff, just to be sure. Neff, just to be sure that we do get to hear the rest. Go ahead, Marshall. Well, I mean, the cell is the basis for, of the organism. And so a lot of the, the genetics behind what, a, what makes a banana work, it's very similar to how, what makes a human work. Similar chemistry. But that says nothing about the structural design of the organism. See, that's what evolution claims, that the organisms change in their structural design over time. If that doesn't happen, then evolution doesn't happen. So by, by, by your same analysis, we're 50% uh, uh, similar, according to Jonathan Wells, two PhDs in biology, we're similar, 50% similar to a banana. But structurally, we're not like a banana at all. We don't, they don't even have a mouth or an eyeball. They don't have organs. Okay, so it's a plant. And, and yep. so um, what I'm pointing out is your idea that genetics, so phylogenetics, there are massive problems with phylogenetics that I'm sure you're not even aware of. They find more incongruencies the more they study phylogenetics, the more problems they come up with for evolution theory. I know you don't believe that, but I can show you a quote from a prominent scientist that states that, would, that and he's not a creationist. Would you agree that we are more similar to a banana than we are to a bacterium? Probably genetically, yeah, and and and, and that and doesn't fit evolution. Structurally as well, that doesn't fit evolution. It does. That's the, 
No, it's the opposite of what we would expect. No, no, we are we are in the same. So bacteria are in, um, they are prokaryotes. We are eukaryotes. We actually share a closer common ancestor with bananas than we do with bacteria. So if 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 our protein codes are fifty percent similar to that of a banana, eighty percent similar to that of a chimpanzee, mm-hmm. you're saying that a banana, but you're not even really considering this. Well, closer 50%, ninety, ninety percent close, no, ninety something closer. It's to It's actually closer to eighty-seven percent. Um, no, no, that was a flawed study. But go ahead. No, the study they, they, the, used, the, they had a, a computer. So the that similarity one study, keeps they, going. One sec, you, okay, hold on one sec. I appreciate both of you guys have gusto. You're, you're, it's, it's you right. guys, both of you have gusto and energy, which is great. But just to be sure that we don't have it be too rowdy, we will go into, if it keeps going this way, we'll go into two-minute intervals. But just letting you guys know that if you okay, guys want to keep going freestyle. Uh, I'm, I'm not having any issues. If, if I'm if Nephilim feels like I'm interrupting too much, I'll, I'll kind of back back it off a little bit. It's I'm, I'm fine with how it's going. Well, I was just trying to point out that um, fifty percent similar to a banana, protein-wise, fifty percent, eighty percent. The number has gone down. Now, you're not aware of this, I guess, but you, but the number, the genetic studies keep showing from the secular camp that the number of similarity keeps going down, 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 and uh, so eighty-something percent similar to a, a chimpanzee, fifty percent similar to a banana, and the structural design similarity between us and a chimpanzee doesn't match that of a. 50% similarity to a banana. See, that's the point. And so phylogenetics doesn't support evolution. I know you believe it does. And I, I could, I'd be happy to show you a, a quotation by, by an evolutionist scientist who, who admits that incongruencies, more and more we study incongenetics. Uh, In fact, let me, if I may, share the screen just to show this to you. I don't want to keep hogging the screen, but oh, I want you to go see ahead. this. I can't okay. share anyway. Okay, so this study from 2012 says incongruencies between phylogenetics derived from morphological versus molecular analysis and between trees based on different subsets of molecular sequence has become pervasive as data sets have expanded rapidly in both characters and species. So what if essentially what they're saying is the more we study the genomes of various living things, the more incongruencies with evolution theory we find. Whether you so, want to believe that or not, this is what they admit. So, so we we would expect to see some some incongruencies based on different trees because sometimes you can't tell whether certain traits are derived or whether they're shared traits. You know, so you could have two species and they both independently evolved a similar trait, and so you know you do have to compare different sources. And you know, there have been a lot of cases, where, especially where we thought that things were related because of morphological characteristics and then later on DNA showed that it was otherwise, but it has, it, that's, that's not the entire tree, you know, there's more, more often than not, the genetics confirms what, you know, the, the trees that we already have. So you disagree with that scientist when they say that the more we study the genomes of living things, the more incongruencies with the idea of further genetics are discovered? Sorry to interrupt. Uh, one sec, Neff, your your mic has gone down for some reason. You're you're not evenly matched anymore. Are you able to either speak closer to the mic or maybe just okay turn up your? How's team? my sound? That's now. better. That's definitely better. Okay, so so Marshall, you disagree with the scientists who can who, who stated that the more we study the genomes of living things, the more incongruencies we find with the idea of phylogenetics. You don't no, agree actually, with them about that. No, so- actually, I would probably I'd have to spend more time to look into like the context behind what he's saying, but overall I wouldn't disagree with the idea that 
the more we look into it, the more incongruencies we're going to find, you know, just because that's, if there are incongruencies there and the more look we look into it, we're going to find it, but that doesn't overturn the entire thing. That's not saying that it's all wrong. You know I mean? It's, it's just, we're just finding out that we have gotten some things not quite right, you know, and yeah, we need to look more into it, you know, but, um, I don't think that I, I would doubt that that scientist is saying that there is no, there's no correlation between genetics and morphology, genetic uh, phylogenies and morphological phylogenies or all molecular phylogenies disagree with each other. And if he is saying that, then yes, I would disagree with that. No, that's not what he's saying. He's just saying that more we study genomes, the more incongruencies, the more things we find that don't line up with evolution. And and, and, and that's all he's saying. Did he, he say that don't uh, line uh, up with evolution? Well, that's, that's, mean, the, that's the purpose like of the finding... statement. That's, that's, let me put it back on screen mm -hmm. and, and, and share again with you so you'll understand what what's what was being said. It, it's not hard to understand what he's saying. Um Let's see if I can share that again. Okay. Incongruencies between phylogenies derived from morphological versus molecular analysis. In other words, they find differences in morphology. Uh, they compare their differences in two organisms, their morphology, mm -hmm. and then they compare them, you know, molecularly, you know, the, the genetic similarities, right? And they find in between trees on different subsets of molecular sequences has become more pervasive as data sets ex have expanded rapidly in both characters and species. In other words, the more we study the genomes of living things, the more we find uh, incongruencies between the physiological organism and our idea that the, that the, the molecular, the biological similarities match the morphological. See, this is what he's saying. In other words, we find a, a species of animal, we study its DNA, its molecular similarity to other creatures, and we find great differences between the similar, we, we discover that the, the biological difference, the chemical difference between them doesn't match the morphological difference, and it should if evolution were true. That's what I'm pointing out. Right. So your idea that this creature, which is more similar visually, you know, morphologically, homologically mm -hmm. to another creature should match the biological, the genetic similarity, but it doesn't. This is what they keep finding more and more incongruent right. with that idea. And that argues against evolution, whether you accept that or not. So, so it, it doesn't really argue against evolution. It argues against our understanding of certain things so it, it, we're finding incongruencies yes you know it, it, there are times when we get it wrong because the morphology is almost it's a lot of it is based on guesswork you know if you have you have to kind of look at things and do these things look like they share similar characteristics and then you have to try to figure out which common ancestor they those are derived from uh and this is just saying this that there are cases where it doesn't line up the genetics versus the more morphological you know phylogeny but I, I highly doubt that that scientist is saying that the entire thing has to be thrown out. That, that we're not. that right. So so I, I would not not expect us to have incongruencies between morpho morphological phylogenies and genetic, uh, you know, molecular based phylogenies. There have That's been like plenty so that have been reworked. We we know that. But go ahead. 
Well, that's like saying uh, I, I, it doesn't bother me that we find evolution theory doesn't match the data and uh, the more we discover. That doesn't make sense. Do, what, you believe, of course, as an evolutionist, that random genetic mutations selected by natural selection designed the pincers on a crab, the, the eyeball of an eagle, the, 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 the nose uh, olfactory nerve in a dog, and every other anatomical feature of every living thing. Isn't that correct? So what is the science that gives us reason to believe such a story? So I, I wouldn't say any science behind it. They're a result of it. Yeah, there's there's plenty of science behind such, it. Such as what what scientific studies have shown that random mutations have the power to build structural designs. So let me see. You know, there there are plenty of ones where you know, like uh, the thing is, like your, your major structures. Those are going to take longer to. Uh, show up, right? So, you know, we're not going to have a thing where we can observe an eye being formed because that that took a long time, right? You know, but we can look and look at little, you know, smaller things. But then you're going to say, well, it's still a bacteria, or or that's just breaking something, you know, like the you know bacteria developing the ability to metabolize nylon or you know um, things like that. But the the thing is, we we know we have the you know phylogenetic tree and um sorry i'm kind of kind of losing my well, creationists here. expect uh, genetic mm-hmm. similarity because of right. the environment you know like if god created creatures to live in a specific environment then they would have naturally we should expect genetic similarity so, it's not a problem for creation but what i'm curious about the- is what, what what science demonstrates that mutations accrue on top of each other and build structural design? What gives us the reason to believe that? Because I don't know of any scientist who's ever published anything. No creationist does. Uh, any scientist has ever published any science paper that shows, not, be- not because of what they believe in their head, but what's been observable, testable, and repeatable, that mutations accrue in such a way as they build functionality and that relates to the physiology of an organism what do we have to believe that in science except for a belief system um so let me ask you this do you you believe in like the baromenology and like the created kinds and how noah had like two of the elephant kind or two of the dog kind like like of course i do okay yes so so let's take two two elephant kind what you know what, what would they look like they look like an elephant modern day elephants there's been varieties. Or, there have been right. varieties of elephant that are now extinct, but guess what? They're still elephant. There's no right. structural, no anatomical. They are structurally, an, they are anatomically different. They have How, different lengths of tusks. Fur, where you know, thicker fur versus less fur. You know, there there are variations. Okay, so here's uh, the problem with that. That's not anatomy. That's physics. That's homology. Those are morphological mm-hmm. differences, not anatomical. You right. misspoke. Okay, having a tusk that's longer, that's two feet long, and a tusk that's seven feet long, it's still a tusk. It's not a difference in anatomy, it's a difference in morphology. Morphology right. is form and structure. Anatomy is what kind of feature of what design and in what location in a body plan. A creature, if there were extinct species of elephant that lived, varieties of elephant that lived in the past, that looked physically quite different from modern elephants, doesn't mean they're not fully an elephant because there's no anatomical difference 
evolution portends to design anatomical features the anatomy changes not just morphology you can't point to difference in shape between a chihuahua and a great dane or a wolf and say that's evolution it's still a dog okay so then what would count as an anatomical change to you then well that's Uh, what evolution claims is it not so right but i'm just i'm just trying to see what what's your your minimum qualification for it to be an anatomical change could it be an extra extra digit loss of legs Mm. okay Um, so okay so let me address those uh an extra digit that's uh, that's not an anatomical change to the species that could be said to be evidence of evolution because it's still uh, an existing anatomical feature you'll never get a fish to walk out on land and become a land-dwelling creature by adding fin not in one generation okay so you can't Uh, add the add the existing features you have to get new features for that to happen see so adding a digit because a duplicate of a homeobox gene can occur and you get an extra digit doesn't support evolution evolution has to says the the digits came into being but that see, the thing the is, thing. so the thing is, the way it works, though, is that these these changes are so small that if I if I were able to show you a change, you you could point to that and say, well, that's just minor variation. That's just change morphology or whatever, you know, but that, because right. you're only looking at a small subset of the entire change. You know, if I say, well, you know, something gained eyes, well, you say, well, there's no evidence of that. Well, I say, well, they got, gained photoreceptive cells that then you know you know became bigger and like well no just gaining photoreceptive cells that that doesn't count divide you know the photorecepting cells becoming bigger no that doesn't count you know it's each to set each step along the way you wouldn't even be able to see you wouldn't even be able to tell if you were if it happened right in front of you you would never even notice we don't have those fossils you know but we do have fossils. That's a story. That's a story evolutionists put forth. We have we fossils have of land fossils. land of whales going from four legged mm-hmm. land dwelling creatures to four limbed semi aquatic creatures that could not support their own weight on their four limbs to uh, fully aquatic species. We, we have fossils of that. No, we don't have any fossil of that. Mm-hmm. What we have is a fossil of a creature that has limbs and anterior limbs, uh-huh. and we have whales. They have none of those bones. None. There's no pelvic bones. There's nothing. They have two bones called ischium that anchors for the reproductive organ. They're not even part Ma- of the locomotion system. So there isn't any transition. We go from a creature with legs, to, and then the evolutionist points to a creature that has four fins instead of legs, and then they point to a whale and say, see the evolution? I- no, I don't see the evolution. I see a creature that has fins and then what has none of those bones, that's the whale. So there isn't actually any transitional form. Now, I, I've asked you, what's the scientific evidence that mutations build to design these anatomical features? Notice you haven't given any because nobody well, has ever done that. No scientist has ever published such a thing. And you admit that we have to look at the little uh, morphological differences and then imagine that anatomy changes. But there isn't simply every, any well, reason to believe that either. And you can't give me any evidence. Well, you, you know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't prepared for this debate, so I don't have scientific papers right here in front of me. Um, well, can you so cite any scientist that's demonstrated that? Do you know of any science that demonstrates that? I, I look, I, I'm on my phone. I don't have a. I can't close this out and look at look anything up, or I'm going to lose the whole thing. So, so you believe you it? Know, maybe you, just, you're not familiar with the science that allegedly verifies what you claim. Well. I mean, I, I don't have, I don't know the specific scientists that, you know, that's found, you know, I, I don't know that much about genetics. 
um, my, my background study has been more about ecology and um, zoology and things like that. All I've heard you say uh, is we're, we're to believe that morphological differences like changes to shape and color and size and things somehow become anatomical well, if you give it enough over time. time. But, that, yeah. that's, but that's not anatomical. That's morphological. You see, a dog, a chihuahua, and a Great Dane uh, look very different, and their skulls are shaped very different. But guess right. what? They're still a dog. They've got exactly the same right. anatomy. They, okay? they would always be a that's, dog, even if they were. That's right. And we can anatomy, say so. the same thing from everything. Uh, and the evolutionists can't tell us why right. why we're to so, believe morphological. Let me finish my sentence, please. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Why, evolutionists can't tell us why we're to believe that morphological change becomes anatomical. It's what you believe, I know, but you can't show the well, science of it. it. It is what other scientists have shown. But uh, Well, you can't so tell what, me of any. So are we the same kind as apes, then? I would say no. How, how do you know? It, it's only morphological differences between us and apes. No, it's not. Yes, there it are is. anatomical differences. We don't have the same number of bones. They have different number of bones in their skulls. Apes have a bacula. Oh. Human beings don't have a baculum. So they have a the protein differences between us is, is so is 80%. 80% difference means no evolution. It's impossible. How many horse kinds are there? Uh, probably just one. Okay. Are you aware that diff there are different breeds... Same species, different breeds of domestic horse that have different number of bones. Okay. So they lost so bones? the number of bones. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So so why okay. couldn't we have different number of bones than, a, than one of our relatives? The number uh, of yeah. bones is irrelevant. Okay. So if we examine the entirety of the differences between human and chimpanzee, we see that the differences are, are remarkable. They're, they're astonishing. Mostly minor. No, they're actually quite remarkable. A chip can't walk upright. The foramen magnum in the skull is not, in the, it's towards the back of the skull, not in the center. The, the pelvic, uh, iliac blades of the pelvis don't don't curve forward uh, to allow for upright walking. That's why chimps can't walk upright. Right. They don't have a locking knee. They have a, they, have, they don't have feet. They have four hands. Australopithecines walk upright. They have hands upright, with though. a heel. Well, so you believe. But uh, you no, they have all the same characteristics no, they, as we do on, on. for bipedalism. Lucy didn't. They had to modify a, a model of its pelvis to make it look like it could walk upright and then put that in museums for people to see. It, it doesn't have a pelvis that would allow for upright walking. That's why they modified it with a Dremel we, tool. We found other australopithecines besides Lucy. No, no, uh, none that are upright walking. We could disagree with about that forever, okay. but you, you won't be able to show me any structural design transitional forms in the human evolution either like you can't for horses either so do you are you aware that dna is the information that operates algorithmically and possesses semiotics linguistics that's what yeah, DNA i mean is. you you can model it as as information yeah. yeah yeah and it operates with algorithms and operates linguistically as well everything it operates possesses, with algorithms uh, no no mm -hmm. no that's not true no, uh, yeah, you, Lego, you could simulate no. the entire universe with an algorithm. No, uh, algorithms are functional. They're procedures for performing a job by comparing information and making a decision about what to do based on the comparison of that dis, uh, compa uh, information, based on that comparison. That's what an algorithm does. That's what DNA does. But algorithms are produced only by intelligence. Information is produced only by intelligence. And semiotics, which is the application of meaning to a symbol and the interpretation of meaning from a symbol, is only something that, that, that happens in a mind. It's a mental oh. process, not a chemical one. So my point That's to you is because DNA is information, linguistics, and algorithms, evolution is impossible because chemistry can't produce any of those things. So why would you believe it? 
when when chemistry proves that when science proves chemistry can't create information linguistics or algorithms, why believe in evolution? What do you, what do you, where, how do you how do you know that? How do I know what? The I'm sorry. Chemistry. How, okay. What's your oh. basis for asserting that it needs an intelligence? I, I don't understand that. If, oh, okay. You, I'll be happy to tell you. Because, because forward thinking is necessary to create an algorithm or to create information okay. or to apply meaning to assemble or interpret meaning from one. It, you have to think about the future. Chemical interactions only happen in the present. Well, they don't happen in the past. They don't happen in the future. They're only happening right now. So chemistry has no participation in the future. Chemical interactions can't set up a complex set of circumstances necessary to make a decision about something that it needs to do that's functional in the future. Chemistry has no potential to do that. Molecules only interact with each other when they bump into each other. They can't participate in anything that needs to be done in the future. It's not possible. Chemistry can't do well, it. But that's what no, no one's does. No one's asserting there's any meaning to it. When you have something that's self-replicating and then there's a selection process, the things that are better at reproducing themselves are going to get selected for, and over time, there's going to be more of the ones that select themselves. Mm. It's a if there's a any kind of time there's a process where things get selected for, you're going to have the ones that are better at reproducing overtaking the ones that are not as good. At and, and that's the point because that's, chemistry that's, can't see the future and it can't write an algorithm. Doesn't need anymore. to. Doesn't it need to see to. the future. Nope. It, it would have to to create algorithms because mm -hmm. genetics. DNA operates algorithmically over large distances on the molecule. In other words, information that's over here operates algorithmically to find information that's specific, that's way down there on the DNA molecule and interact with it in a functional and, and, and necessary way. See, that vast yeah, distance is because the ones the that do that get selected for. So, so natural selection does, can't. No, here's the point natural selection can't have participated in that because the difference does a termite the, know the, because sorry. the information that is separate on the DNA molecule over vast distances. Natural selection can't work that way. Chemicals, I'll say it again, chemicals only interact with each other when they're in immediate proximity to each other. Mm -hmm. The interdependence between genetic information way over here on the left on the DNA and way over there on the right is governed by an algorithm. Go find this, and when you do, then do that. That's what DNA does all the time. But chemistry only operates when molecules can touch each other. So mutations, natural selection, it doesn't work at the molecular level to select for anything. It can't create an algorithm. Does does it's a termite possible. know what a termite mound makes when it builds? Does any individual termite know, mound know what it, the mound is going to look like when it's finished? Hmm. What it's going to look like? I don't know. That'd be a difficult Yeah, so it's see, they build a complex structure. They didn't design it. They just they are following the, the instructions that they have built into them and they build a complex structure. That's how they you know, that design. Does, right. It is of it. Well, intelligent it, it, no, no, it's the appearance of a design, but yeah. we can tell that it's not designed. Oh, that's, that that's, works. that's evidence. What, yeah. What looks like it's designed. Definitely so are you saying that God designs individual termite mounds? He goes there. I, I think God yeah. designed termites to know how to build a mound. I think it'd be right. impossible well, for evolution but, to impart that knowledge to a to a to a termite or to uh, all kinds of creatures. That's personal incredulity. Or 
No, it's 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 yeah. the very same argument you're making. It's a counter to it. It's nothing about personal incredulity. Neither did I believe evolution make it possible for bees to dance out the directions to each other about how to find flowers that are 380 yards away. I don't I, I don't think that that's possible either. That, that bees are going to learn this dance thing. I believe is imparted by its designer. That's how bees are able to do it. Everything is evidence of design. There isn't so, any such thing so as evidence of the designer also made um, made a wasp that lays its eggs in a tarantula and they hatch inside of it and eat it while it's alive. No, Pretty he didn't cool. design it to do that. The he organism adapted. That? The, the, yeah, the organism was designed to lay its eggs in the fruit, but the the insect, being intelligently designed, figured out that it was capable of laying its egg on top of the egg of another organism to take advantage of it. That that's still design. Okay, and then. There's a fungus, I believe, that turns an ant into a zombie, and it climbs up to the top of a uh, mm-hmm. uh, plant stalk, and then releases the spores. And you know, was that something that yeah. was learned or designed? It's learned by this an adaptation of an organism going downhill. That's what death and suffering is in this world. It's so, a result of the fall. Organisms are able to modify, adapt to survive. Uh, ways that doesn't show any reason to believe the thing arose from rock soup or that mutations which cause deformities weakness and death has designed the anatomical features of a mosquito we don't have any science that supports that idea but mosquitoes adapted to live on blood on their own well i mean it seems like you believe in a lot of things a lot of um well you believe the same thing don't you you believe the yeah. same thing. They evolved sure. and they adapted to this. This uh, took up this, uh, 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 you know, uh, opportunistic way of survival. So, what are you arguing mm-hmm. against the creationist on it for? You believe the same thing. The organism. Yeah, exactly. It, okay. Yeah, seems like we we agree on that. Right. Um, but, but I don't say it's evolved. That's not an evidence of evolution. That's just organisms adapting to survive. You, you don't behavior. think that? You don't think it would need some anatomical changes in order to digest its you know, blood to mm-hmm. uh, versus no. Plant, I, really. I no. I I think that uh, the core organism is capable of uh, uh, adapting its digestive system in such a way to digest blood. That doesn't give any reason to believe that the anatomical features of the thing evolved. You believe that maybe, but we don't have any science that supports the reason to believe the anatomies or that change over time because of random damage events called mutation. What's the evidence well, of that? I asked you for that before, and you said you don't know of any. Right. Like I said, I, I can't look up, you know, specific scientific papers right now. I'm, have you ever studied any that, that say, that, have you ever, ever actually I've, seen a I've science seen paper that says we have observed that mutations build structural design in creatures in the laboratory. We mutated their offspring. We mutated their offspring's offspring. We mutated their offspring's offspring's offspring. We kept doing this generations after generation, and we found structural design arise. Because, you know, flies have been mutated in the laboratory this way for 75 mm -hmm. years or more, and no scientist has ever published a paper saying we observe structural design changes to occur to the thing, except deformities, which make it incapable of surviving outside the laboratory. Well, I mean, the the structural changes still happen. I mean, yeah, you do agree that genetic fit, right? And sometimes they can survive with the deformities. That's what. But sometimes they can survive with the deformities, right? No, you can outside the lab. No, outside the lab. No. No, if their wings get curled, if their wings get curled, 
you know, they can't fly properly anymore. Dead. Right. Right. Their eyes change color. Big deal. That's not anatomical change. That doesn't bring eyes into being or create an incremental structural design change in the organism. It's not anatomical. It doesn't change the organism. See, but right. what we do observe is mutations but, that cause deformities. Legs where eyeballs ought to be, antenna where eyeballs ought to be. That's a Hox gene mutation. And we see wings <laughs> get curled or, or diminutive so that the fly can't properly fly anymore. All right. Release them into the wild and they, they go extinct. They die. Right. Or the, or the, they get out competed. You know, the, so if you take, say you take a group of these de, of deformed flies and a group of undeformed flies. And you put them together and let them breed over successive generations. Those harmful mutations are not going to stick around. They're going to eventually be bred out. So that right there is evidence against this whole genetic entropy idea that harmful mutations build up, you know, as a corrosive uh, force on the organism. Well, all you're pointing out is that mutations destroy. You, you still no. haven't provided us any scientific reason. Harmful to mutations get selected again. Build things. Because no scientist has ever published such a paper. It's never happened. You believe it, maybe. You believe the story of evolution, but you don't have the science that shows it. That's the thing. I mean, the, evolution the, is a the fantasy. Fact, it's a myth. The fact that we can show that, that changes are the result of mutations, and then we can show that certain genes are, you know, do code for certain things. We can remove certain genes and break something. That shows that that gene what, was doing something. What, so, what kind of what know. kind of changes do we observe occur to organisms in the laboratory when they're mutated by scientists? Uh, in other words, the one with the, the nylon or the, yeah, the bacteria that were okay. able to digest nylon. Uh, okay, let's uh, stop right there if we could. Is mm -hmm. is that change the structural design of the bacteria in the slightest bit? The answer is no. It's a chemical it's adaptation that allows the thing to die. Right. Can't say that's evidence that the bacteria is moving towards becoming a fundamentally different type of organism. No evolution there. What's your next example? All life, all life is chemical. Any changes to the chemistry of an organism is a change to that. So, so, Any so change you're saying, in uh, an organism is a chemical change. We are. So you're saying we should believe that the chemical adaptations that we see in organisms are sufficient reason to believe that anatomical changes occur, and that's your way of supporting evolution? No, there's there are two different lines of evidence. We have enough evidence of the anatomical changes and the, the vast the, the gross morphological changes occurring. Well, that's what know, I've been asking well. you for, and uh, you haven't provided second. any. You do you want to make sure he gets a chance to finish. I'm sorry. Um, in case you had anything, if I, yeah, I'm I'm sorry. 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 forgive me. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, no, it's, uh, you're good. You're good. Well, so I, uh, I'm asking you, you know, that's the thing you're telling me that we should believe that because creatures adapt chemically, we should believe that they, they, they change anatomically. But that's just a story. That's not evidence that we should believe that anatomies change. See, you're, you're telling we, us to take a leap of faith. See. Go ahead. No, like I said, so Charles Darwin, when he came up with his theory, he didn't know about genetics. He didn't even know about Mendel's work with um, heredity. Uh, yet he was able to see that changes do happen. If you go out and collect 100 butterflies, they're all, none of them are going to be exactly the same. You know, So we do know that variation happens. We know selection happens. Even you'll agree you know, that you just call it microevolution. Um, but then if you look at the fossil record or if you look at the, the, the way 
animals can, you know, species can fit into a hierarchy of species, genus, you know, so that of select of shared traits, grouping organisms into ever bigger clades. And you'll never find, you're not going to find, uh, a, you know, feathers on a mammal. It's never going to happen, you know? Uh, so the, these traits that are shared within a clade, then, you know, other traits are shared within the bigger clade to the point where we're 50% similar to banana because we are both part of, you know, the first big division of life, eukaryotes versus prokaryotes. Um, so it, it all, it all stacks up, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, so what basically what you're t- telling us is taking the leap of faith. You, because no. animals can adapt chemically, it's reason to believe that anatomical change occurs. And, and I've asked you about the evidence for that. You're not familiar with any science that demonstrates it. In fact, no scientist is. And uh, so that's not evidence of evolution. I'm sorry. But, you know, chemical adaptation is expected if organisms are intelligently designed. But anatomy has to change evolution is a theory about origins it, it, it portends to explain the origin of a proboscis of a, of a, of a an insect it, it, it claims to pr- provide uh, an explanation for the origin of teeth uh, it, it explains allegedly the arrival of all anatomical features but we don't have any scientific evidence from genetic mutation that mutations build structural design in anything they damage that's what they do they cause damage because they're well, responsible mm. for every almost every single disease known to mankind is a mutation i'll give you a chance that's to respond know. marshall oh, oh. pardon my interruption yeah. just wanted to mention really quick folks we'll be going into q a we got kind of a short and sweet debate given our late start tonight and so i'll give you a chance to respond marshall go ahead and then pretty soon here though just to let you guys know we'll go into q a I mean, the entire makeup of DNA is is made up of mutations built upon mutations. So the idea that no mutations could build structure that doesn't make sense because the DNA itself is a result of mutations that have built up over time. And you can choose to believe that, or you can look up science on it. That's up to you. Um, even if you could prove evolution true, it would not make your fairy tale of the ark any more likely. Um, I, I, like I said, I wasn't prepared for this debate, so I don't have specific studies I can cite you. Um, but there are several lines of evidence that all line up to the same thing, that all life started as simple single-cell organisms and over time developed into what you see today. And everything can be traced back into a, you know, a phylogenetic tree that goes back to a shared common ancestor. Uh, that's about it. We, if you guys are ready, let's jump into the Q&A. want to give a couple of quick announcements. Folks, at the bottom right of your screen, we are absolutely thrilled, folks. We are doing this crowdfund at the moment, and it's only for another 13 days. I don't think I mentioned this during any of the actual debate, so I'm going to mention it now. We are pumped. Folks, we're at 60% for the crowdfund. This is super encouraging. Believe me. You don't want to miss this upcoming debate between Dr. Kenny Rose and Matt Dillahunty. It's going to be a juicy one. And that crowdfund link is in the description, folks. And I'll throw that in the live chat. We encourage you to join us as that helps us. You could say take bigger risks in reaching out for bigger speakers for more epic events. And so with that, we're going to jump into this Q&A. And so thank you very much for your question. Stephen Steen says, Neff is the greatest scientific mind of our generation undefeated 
debated two opponents in one debate. Defeated two opponents in one debate. Sounds like you got a fan there, Neff. Mm. Next. Neff <laughs> 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 can't tell if they're serious. I, I, I don't know. Bubble of Grub Gun says, thank you uh, for your question comment. says, adaption or adaptation does not equal evolution. Atheism is a religion. I want to tack that philosophical claim on at the end. But go ahead, Marshall, if you want to address it. No, adaptation is not evolution. Adaptation is part of evolution. Um, evolution is a change in allele frequencies over time due to natural selection. That's something we can uh, observe. Um, Nephilim will probably agree that you can observe that, but he says there's limits to it. Um and atheism is not a religion. It's just a rejection of the idea that there is a God. It's, it's the non-acceptance of, of the idea that there is a God, actually. Gotcha. And this one coming in from Mike Billars says, James is proof of a perfect creation. That's very funny. That's based in Red Pill. I'll agree with that. We have to thank you. Bless your heart, Marshall. We have to start using based in Red Pill. I know that I'm usually 12 months <laughs> behind the, the cool words, but, you know, I just discovered based and red pilled so we're going to see you know ozzy and thanks for your questions is evolution doesn't defeat god god not revealing itself defeats god thanks for stepping up to defend truth and reason marshall regardless of belief kudos to you marshall again thank you indeed for stepping in last minute and i think that first part is for uh, you nephilim free uh well uh, the the uh the uh the unseen nature of God, I think God makes his presence known to millions of people on a daily basis. He doesn't walk around wearing a tie-dye t-shirt and jeans because if he made his presence known in the world like that today, he'd have to do it in a very dictatorial way, and that would usurp our free will. He gave us free will because a world in which uh, man has free will is the greatest kind of world through which God can reap the most children. Gotcha, and this one coming in from actual socialist trash my favorite youtube name maybe ever <laughs> says neff how do you explain the stickleback regaining the plates that they lost while lake washington was extremely polluted once the lake was cleaned up well that's quite easy that's called phenotypic plasticity that's simply shutting off the genes to produce a feature and turning them back on evolution has to explain the arrival of the genes and the feature we don't have evidence for that or a mechanism for it um what we have instead is the organism uh, demonstrating incredible intelligent design that it can shut off the genes to make a feature because of an extreme change in the environment turn them back on and gain the feature back when it needs to the italian wall lizard is another beautiful example of that gotcha and this one coming in from do appreciate your question as well ozian strikes again saying gould namely stephen jay gould is repeatedly quoted as supporting evolution using him as a reference defeats your anti-evolution position nephilim free out of context is out of context well the statements are not made out of context it doesn't matter if stephen jay gould believe evolution is true or not uh he promoted punctuated equilibrium which is a theory to uh, uh an idea uh to explain away the absence of evidence by saying look evolution seemed to take place in spurts and that's why we have this one then all of a sudden a very different one uh without any transition in between the the fact remains that he like most prominent scientists have admitted the fossil record doesn't allow you to see evolution occur. The forms don't show you that evolution occurs. You have to assume it 
and take a leap of faith. You got it. And this question coming in from Ozian as well says, the paper on PubMed that you showed the quote from, Neff, is about trying to remove bias in understanding evolution and to make our evolutionary theory more precise. Uh, regardless of the beliefs of the author or the purpose of it, the statement that the more they study the genomes of creatures, the more incongruencies they find is still a true statement. And uh, the scientist isn't telling something he doesn't believe there either. Juicy. And this one coming in from, do appreciate your question, logical, plausible, probable, John Maddox is in the chat. He says, question from Marshall, do you think a system which has machine learning capacity doesn't require preceding intelligent design in order to have said capacity. No, um, I don't. I don't see why it would have to. Um, you know, you would have to know what every system that ha that has those characteristics. You'd have to know about every system and see what you know caused it to begin. Um, and you know, is it possible that there was a God that started it all? You know, that's outside the scope of this debate, you know, um, but that wouldn't disprove evolution. Um, and I don't, I don't think you need an intel, you know, intelligence for this sort of thing. If you have chemicals that are and a way for them to be selected for, um, it, it, it just builds up. That, that's just how, um, how it works basically um i don't i don't think there's a need for it if you want to insert an intelligence in there at the beginning of it fine uh but that doesn't mean that everything formed as it was six thousand years ago gotcha and chris gammon thanks for your question says thanks marshall for being here and neff they said neff said everything is evidence of design for both how do you determine what is designed and what is not thanks we'll start with neff well, design uh, is uh, uh, is uh, things that are designed uh, possess uh, particular uh, uh, features. Uh, so I would say things that have function, that are functional, uh, have design. Uh, things at a high level of specificity, which results in functionality, is an evidence of design. Integration of interdependent entities, which results in functionality, is evidence of design. The presence of semiotics, or the use of symbols to represent a process, entity, or concept, that's evidence of design. The, the, the pre presence of uh, prescriptive information, which information which specifies functions, that's evidence of design. Uh, the presence of functional information or the arrangement which implies an imagination to produce uh, aesthetic pleasure, such as art, that also implies design. Got it. In the, oh, that's right. Go ahead, Marshall. We'll give you a chance to respond as well. Uh, well, I think you, know, you have to start off with the, the null hypothesis um, of there being no designer. You know, and then you can compare it to other things that we know have a designer and um, you, you can look at, does this thing change on, you know, are there, are there things that cause this thing to change over time on its own? Um, but really, you know, you, you have to show solid evidence of there being a designer first. You know, we, we know houses and spaceships and things are designed because we know people design them, you know, not because they're complex. 
Gotcha. And this one from Bubblegum Gun says, if evolution relies on time, it's not real since time only exists in, con- in concept in our head. Time isn't real. It's just a centrifugal divergence force vector. Is that for me? Is that for I think so. Um, well, yeah, I mean, if you're going to say time only exists in your head, why not say that, that everything exists in your head? You know, we're, we're getting dangerously close to solipsism there. Um, and I don't think uh, we can, we really want to go there. Um, the thing is, the fact is that this universe does have the appearance of age. You know, you could say that it all, was all just created last Thursday to look old or, or whatever, but um, yeah, if you're going to argue against the existence of time, then the, this whole debate is pointless. Gotcha. And this one from Ra Nakedness says, what does Nephilim Free think of the classic examples of natural selection, like the new gene, Jingui, or peppered moths, or finch beaks? Uh well, as for the, the finch beaks, that doesn't demonstrate evolution anyway. That's just an adaptation. The creature already had a beak. They got bigger. They actually reverted and got smaller again later. Research has shown that uh, going back to the Galapagos Islands, they discovered the beaks of the finches got smaller again when the environment changed. So that, that's not evidence of evolution. Evolution portends to explain the arrival of a beak, not whether a beak can get bigger or smaller by adaptation. That doesn't support evolution at all. So uh, things like that don't support evolution. They they support in d- intelligent design because an organism is capable of adapting morphologically to its environment. But evolution uh, it claims to explain the arrival of the feature, and we don't have a scientific reason to believe that. Anything but evidence against it. This one coming in from Mitchell. Thanks for your question. Says, for Marshall, if a mosquito lives on blood... How did it acquire blood in the first place to survive? I think they're trying to suggest that did mosquitoes exist prior to different types of organisms that it could suck the blood from? Like, what did it do at that time, I think, is right. what Mitchell's asking. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm actually not well-versed in the... Um how mosquitoes came about their their blood sucking abilities uh with that example i was just trying to point out an inconsistency where nephilim will agree to a certain adaptation happening and so you know and saying that but other ones not being possible um most so the male mosquito actually does drink nectar and the females are the only ones that that drink blood so there was um i i would hypothesize that maybe they started out um sucking like the secretions from say uh you know an amphibian or something and then over time developed the the ability to pierce the um the skin i i, I don't know um that's this one i don't know that one you got it and this one coming in from ozzy and says even all of the popes since 1950 have come out supporting evolutionary theory is not being in conflict with creation or I think they mean with Christianity, plus, or they said Pius Twelfth was the first pope to do so. Math? That's for me, I guess, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, they couldn't be more wrong. 
uh, it doesn't matter that these men became deluded or not. Uh, it's, it's quite true. Uh, by studying the Bible, that God has especially created everything. Six literal days, the Hebrew language doesn't allow for alternate interpretations, even though it, people attempt to do so. Uh, in the statements of Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus said, uh, have you not read, referring to Moses, that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female? That means the evolution of sex, sexual reproduction, never occurred because they were fully made man and woman in the beginning. And that means, according to the word of God, evolution cannot be true. If somebody refuses to accept that, they're just, uh, they've decided not to believe what the scripture says because they want to believe something else. Gosh, and bubblegum gun in Patriot uh, University. Go ahead. I just want to point out that the vast majority of Christians, uh, Jews, and most, you know, the vast majority of religious believers do also accept evolution. So I, I don't think there's any big contradiction there. Gotcha. And Bubblegum Gun says, Peels Banana, behold, I've brought you a man. These are both kind of teasing super chats. Patriot University PhD says, Neff, please pick your Nobel Prize ASAP. Gotcha. Well, I, I have uh, uh, about 3,000 of them already from various universities around the universe, so it's just one more. Juicy and Amy Newman, thanks for your super chat comment question. says, after show at my channel and for Nephilim Free, do you agree that microevolution exists? And if so, isn't that believing in a form of evolution? Uh, I disagree with the term microevolution. I prefer adaptation because that's more scientifically correct. But the process of adaptation does occur, but it doesn't provide evidence for the arrival of features and anatomies. And that's what evolution claims. We don't have scientific, uh, uh, there's no scientific reason to believe that. Mutations have been proven for 90 years not to do that. And we just don't have, uh, the fossils don't support it. So you're welcome to believe this. It's religious belief. It's not a scientific one. It's a philosophy based on a 19th century myth formed in a day when man didn't know anything about biology. Gotcha. And this one from Raw Nakedness says, punctuated equilibrium points to smaller groups. Evolution between larger groups, such as whales and homonyms, is well documented in the fossil record, Nephilim free. Fossil record clearly doesn't show evolution. You can't see it uh, in, in, uh, in the fossils. That's why I provided statements from Niles Eldred, Stephen Jay Gould, and, and David Kitts, uh, and, and I could provide you a hundred more. This is what the purpose of punctuated equilibrium was, to explain away the absence of transitional forms in the fossil record and say, look, this one evolved into that dramatically different creature there. But you can't see that in the fossils. Evolutionists just make that leap of faith. That's not science. That's, that's religion being applied to what they actually see. Juicy and raw nakedness strikes again, saying paper wasps interpret facial patterns in their hierarchical societies that semiotics produced by natural processes alone. Who's that for? I think that's for you, Neff. Uh, well, I would respond with, uh, you know, periwinkle bugaboos only bounce backwards on Saturday. And so, I mean, I just have to disagree. Gotcha. And this next one coming in from Sunflower says... When cave paintings are found and dated as too old for humans to have made them, 
why not just assume they're random markings from nature? It'd be more parsimonious than redoing all of anthropology. I think that's for you, Marshall. Uh, <clears throat> well, no. Um, we have, we know other species were around that could also do cave paintings. Uh, and there's no natural process that can be shown to produce something as, you know, some cave paintings, sure, they could have been natural processes if they're not that, you know, not, you know, don't. Anyway, we don't have any natural process that we can look to that, that reproduces cave paintings. Cave paintings can't reproduce. They, they don't have a mechanism whereby they increase in complexity. Um, and we also know that humans weren't the only species around. I mean, you know, if we found one, you know, a cave painting, you know, 50 million years old, well, then we're going to have to look at our dating methods. But if we find a, a cave painting 5 million years old, or, you know, say, we, a million years old, well, we may, you know, maybe uh, Homo erectus made that. Uh, gotcha. Thank you very much. And that is it for our questions. want to say thank you, everybody. We have a, like I said, short and sweet one given our late start. And this is one of the few nights that I've got to make sure we wrap up in a pithy way. But want to say we can't thank our guests enough. The debaters are the lifeblood of the channel. So we do want to say thank you, Nephilim Free, as well as to Marshall. It's been a true pleasure to have you guys with us. And their links are in the description, whether you're listening to Modern Day Debate via YouTube or via podcast. So thank you very much, Nephilim Free and Marshall. Thanks, James. Appreciate it so much. Maybe I'll start making my own videos. <laughs> Juicy and want to let you know, folks. At the bottom right of your screen, you will see, as shown, we, on June 5th, are hosting Is There Good Evidence for God? between Matt Dillahunty and Christian apologist and scholar Dr. Kenny Rhodes. It's going to be epic, folks. You don't want to miss it. I'm going to be back with a post credit scene in just a moment to let you know more about that debate as well as others. Folks, we are absolutely thrilled. Big things are coming up. And so stick around for more news on those. And as mentioned, thanks so much to Nephilim Free and Marshall one more time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.